Welcome to this episode of Inside the NCAA, the AMA Experience. My name is Chris Johnson, and I'm Associate Director for Academic and Membership Affairs. This is the second episode focusing on the NCAA Division I October Governance Meeting. In our first episode of this series, we focused on the committee meetings surrounding the NCAA Division I Council Meeting. We are fortunate enough to have committee liaisons share updates and key agenda items. Today, we're going to focus on the work of the NCAA Division I Council during its in-person meetings on October 3rd and 4th. We're excited to start today's show with Linda Teeler, Deputy Athletic Director at the University of Florida and Chair of the NCAA Division I Council. Following Linda, we'll have Cody Schimp and Morgan Wynn, former student athletes and Chair and Vice Chair of the NCAA Division I Student Athlete Advisory Committee. Linda. Welcome. At first, I'd like to uh, apologize for the city of Indianapolis for this this gloomy day. I know this is something different than what you have down in Florida, so I apologize ahead of time, but welcome to Indianapolis. Thank you for having me. I spend uh, a little bit of time here. So this is, it's a little gloomy, but there are brighter days for sure. We are so happy to have you uh, talk about the Division One Council meetings that have occurred. Um, but before we dive into our discussion, let's talk a little bit about yourself. Uh, give us a little bit of your background. So I uh, grew up in California, went to the University of San Diego, played basketball there uh, for four years, uh, left uh, USD and went to the University of Texas. I received a JD there, and that's really where I got um, involved in college athletics. Uh, they were kind enough to let me volunteer in the athletic department there, and I just got bit, um, fell in love with the industry and, and have been ever since. Um, I currently am the deputy athletic director at the University of Florida. I've been there now for 20 years. Um, that sneaks up on you. Um, and I oversee our men's basketball program, volleyball, softball, and some of our internal uh, departments as well. Currently uh, spending quite a bit of time um, on some NSA issues. I'm uh, the current chair of the Division One Council as well as chair of the NIL Working Group. And we're going to dive a little bit deeper into that NIL Working Group. Uh, that was a big point of this, this council meeting. Um, but first, let's talk about the, the uh, NCAA Division One Council. Um, what is it and what's its role within the governance process? So um, it really is this representative form of governance. And I know often uh, we think decisions just get handed down from the NCA. It's really, um, there's a process and it's um, every member conference is represented in the room. Uh, we hear legislative proposals that come up through the system recommended by various committees. Um, there's time for consideration to get member feedback. And then uh, the council takes action on uh, those recommendations and those are the proposals um, and uh, new policies and rules that you see come out of the council. And, and the makeup of the council, do you, can you dive a little deeper into the overall makeup of the, the NCA Division One Council? Sure. There are, there are 40 members. Um, and again, as I said, every uh, Division One conference is represented, all 32. Um, there are commissioners, athletics directors, uh, deputy athletics directors. Um, there's representatives from the faculty. So it really is a, a fairly diverse group um, that come from, uh, again, all over the country, and, you know, we meet four times a year. There's interim meetings, but often um, sort of we come in with uh, feedback and input from our conferences on how they would like to see um, sort of things play out, how, how they'd like to see these uh, rules voted on. And again, very representative form of, of governance here. And in addition to the, the, the 40 members, the two student athletes are included within those members and, the, and they hold a voice at the Division One Council level. For well. sure they do. And then um, really throughout the entire structure, and this has been a change over time, um, all of our standing committees um, have student athlete representatives. So it's not just the national SAC, but those members um, also populate other committees in the system. So whenever we have 
um, a committee report. We have legislation that comes out of, of different committees. Student athletes have had a voice in those proposals as well. Yeah. And really want to dive now into this, this past uh, October's um, council meeting. There are a lot of things that happened. Uh, yeah. A couple key takeaways that I think are really important uh, if, you, if you've got some time to discuss. Um, coming out of that meeting, let's talk about some of those key takeaways. Um, let's start with the, the NIL uh, working group, the, the one that you chair. Yeah, so um, the working group uh, split up into three subgroups to try and address some of um, the kind of bigger topics within uh, within NIL. The first group to put legislation forward was a student athlete protections group. And so they spent a lot of time looking at how can we create rules that would help student athletes better navigate the NIL space. Um, we know that um, student athletes, um, not all of them, but very, but many, are capitalizing on their NIL. And we're just trying to find ways to support them in that effort. So in terms of protections. Uh, we looked at a registry. We're proposing a registry for NIL service providers. Those are people, agents, for example, that um, represent student-athletes in that space. A registry so that um, student-athletes can look up someone that they are thinking about getting engaged with, um, get their contact information, their credentials, potentially a background check, um, and then maybe some um, other feedback from student athletes that have used that service provider. So just adding some clarity and maybe uh, giving student athletes a resource when they're looking for an agent. Um, next is uh, a disclosure piece requiring student athletes to disclose uh, NIL deals that in total value are above $600. And the, the idea there really is so many student athletes will say, um, you know, there's all of these, uh, inf all this information out there in the NIL space, but nobody knows what's real, how much are student athletes really making? What is reasonable to expect? I think, you know, student athletes often don't have really good information about what their market is. What could they expect in this process? So um, requiring disclosure at an institutional level and then that information um, rolling up to the NCAA in a way that's de-identified, not specific to a student athlete, but then student athletes would just have better information about what opportunities are out there. Um, requiring some additional development of really robust education um, in the area of, of NIL. Um, you know, we all, all institutions already do things around financial literacy, but are there other things that we can do, modules we can create at the NCAA level that really help student-athletes um, in the NIL space? So it's very, it's very student-athlete friendly and really helping them navigate this, this new space. Um, I also wanted to touch base on, on something else that was brought up in the council is, is sports wagering. And really, uh, President Baker's has really kind of harped on the importance of the understanding of sports wagering and how it's affecting not only college sports, but sports as a whole. Yeah. We spent a lot of time on that. And so, um, you know, I think one thing to be really clear on is um, the integrity of our contests, um, student athletes, coaches, staff, anyone doing anything that compromises the integrity of the competition, um, that is still prohibited. It's still very dangerous. It's um, gets really, um, it's against the heart of what we do. So um, there wasn't an effort to take a look at anything that actually influences outcomes of games or matches. At the same time, um, legalized sports wagering is something that has become um, sort of acceptable across the country. And are there things um, that we can do within our rules to acknowledge that change um, and potentially take a second look at 
our penalty structure um, to acknowledge that um, there are legalized sports wagering opportunities available to all students, um, student athletes included, um, and is participation in a way that doesn't actually have anything to do with the contest the student athlete is involved in or their own team or their own institution? Um, can we adjust, take a second look at penalties um, to sort of coincide with the shift in sort of how you know we deal with uh, legal sports wagering as a country? And that was a great discussion at the council level. I do think that it's worth noting it's it's very infancy in this stage. And I think there's a lot of committees that are going to be involved within the, the review of the overall uh, sports wagering um, landscape. Correct. And, and that's that'll be an ongoing discussion. Um, the uh, coordination committee of the council will take this back up at the end of the month after hearing a little bit more feedback. Um, and there may be some action taken. Again, just a, a second look at the penalty structure and does it really align with where, uh, again, the country is as it relates to sport wagering? Um, and then finally, uh, the, the last thing I'd like to talk through is uh, the NCAA Division One infractions process. There are a couple things that were talked about at the council level as well regarding the infractions process and some changes potentially on the horizon as well. Do you mind kind of diving into the, some of those? Yeah, so um, part of the conversation was about increased individual accountability. Um, there's We've spent a lot of time on the infractions process and a lot of people done um, some very good work there looking to make sure that um, when uh, institutions go through the process, um, are the right individuals held accountable for the conduct, um, attempting to not uh, penalize in particular student athletes who had no involvement um, in the actual infraction, potentially it even happened before those uh, students arrived on campus. So really focusing on individual accountability, increased measures to enhance that accountability. Um, we're going to have some uh, of those uh, different measures introduced, and, and we'll see those again come up in January. And then there's um, an effort to really look at, define, um, and encourage um, exemplary cooperation. So when an institution um, is confronted, with um, a violation and how they go through the process and how they interact with the NCA and the Committee on Infractions, um, can we incentivize institutions to really go above and beyond in cooperation and to get to the bottom of, of the issue and uh, make adjustments where necessary and, and finding ways to reward institutions for that cooperation? Linda, Thank you so much for taking the time to come talk to us and just give us a, a recap of the, the NCA Division I uh, Council Governance Meeting. I really appreciate your time and, and really being able to provide some insight to the membership. Easy. Happy to do it. Thank you. Thank you. Now, let's welcome Morgan Wynn and Cody Shim, representatives from the Student Athlete Advisory Committee. Cody, let's, let's talk about your involvement within the NCAA Division I Governance Structure. Yeah, for sure. So I sit as the chair of the Student Athlete Advisory Committee, which also puts me as the representative on the Division One Board of Directors. So I'm here filling in at council as our second student athlete representative. And the council meetings have been well. They went really well. Uh, lots of engagement, lots of discussion, lots of compromise. And, uh, you know, we appreciate our feedback and our perspective, as always, in the governance process. We're going to get into that feedback here in just a minute, um, but first, let's Morgan. Let's talk about your experience within the governance process. Give us a give us a little uh, a preview of what your role is. Yeah. So, as the vice chair of 
the Student Athlete Advisory Committee. I get to sit on council. So um, it was great to have Cody here with me. But my partner in crime is Clarival PC. She is the West Coast Conference um, representative. And so she normally sits on council. So um, our experience on council is it's very beneficial. Um, being able to work with the most highly recognizable names in college athletics from ADs to compliance directors to conference commissioners. It's its amazing to be in the room with them and to get their perspective on things um, as well as share our own. So it's, it's an experience I will never forget even as I move into my own athletic administration career. Awesome. Let's, let's talk about what, what occurred at the October Division I Council meeting. Um, there was quite a few uh, quite a few conversations regarding proposal 2023-36, which was related to the notification of transfer windows. Um, the Student Athlete Advisory Committee came out with a recommendation. Um, Cody, can you talk to us about that recommendation? For sure. So the original recommendation back in June from MBOC was for, to shorten the windows from 60 days to 30 days. Our counterproposal to ensure that all student athletes have adequate time to make rational and informed decisions about their transfer process was at 45 days. Um, after a lot of deliberation, a lot of compromise, uh, we ended up at 45 days as a council. Um, from a SAC position, um, it's pretty standard that we wanted student athletes to be able to have time after the season to make informed decisions about their best interest, about what their next step could be. And, and real quick, talk a little bit about the process. Uh, it, it was introduced in June. Um, the Student Athlete Advisory Committee took a look at it. Uh, I believe that was in July. Is that correct? Correct. So as a uh, committee, we uh, talked about this in July at our in-person meeting. And then actually over this past weekend, we finalized our position of 45 days. Uh, we had our uh, quarterly October in-person meeting. And, um, you know, the group really felt that a cut from 60 to 30 days was not in the best best interest of student athletes. Um, it would have made quick and rash decision making. Um, it wouldn't have provided adequate time for student athletes to talk with their coaches, uh, ensure that their credits are in line, and to even just talk with their families about what's best for their next step. So that's where we landed on 45 days. It's uh, right in the middle of 60 and 30. And, you know, we're glad that 45 was able to be part of the compromise. Um, and, and Morgan, I'm, I'm going to ask you here. And, and what was the rationale really um, behind the, the 45 days? And then also how did that rationale play into today's conversation at the NCAA Division One Council? Yeah, well, the rationale, honestly, was that there just isn't enough data to support a 50% decrease from 60 to 30. Um, and with not with inadequate data, the biggest compromise that we felt comfortable moving with was 45. We recognized the issues of roster management and um, the implications of tampering. So we felt like to be the best partners from the student athlete perspective with our council member constituents, this was the best route to go, was to find that middle ground. Um, and our rationale was we wanted to provide student athletes with equitable time across the board um, with the conclusion of their season. 
um, in order to make these educated decisions and um, have these lengthy conversations with their families before they chose to stay or move on from their institution. It would also have provided adequate time for student athletes to speak with coaches and discuss their roles on the team moving forward or, you know, debrief the season, things like that. And um, that is really where the 45 came from. And just in layman's terms, 60 to 30 was just not enough time. It was it was too tight, a time crunch, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And really looking back at that timeline, you know, Zach, you, you guys met and in July, I know there was initial feedback provided to all of the standing committees, right? I know the, the, the football committees received it. The men's basketball, also known as MBOC, also received it. WBOC also received it. And how did that play into the overall decision-making process for the adoption of, of 2023-36? So, you know, we had at length discussions with the men's basketball and women's basketball uh, community about their original support of 30 days. And again, like we felt that, yes, basketball is different than a lot of the sports currently. There's, we wanted to provide some deference to basketball, especially with the summer access that is currently happening in May for a lot of schools. Um, and May 1st was a hard deadline date. And we, that's something that we acknowledged to in our discussions. Um, the conversation was really about should the windows begin during the second round of the tournament or should they begin after Selection Sunday? We were concerned that if there was a lame duck period between Selection Sunday and the second round of the tournament, that that would increase and enable tampering during that time period. Whereas tampering in the current 60-day windows was happening on the back end, we were concerned that that tampering would just move to the front end. So in order to not have those violations happen and student-athletes be able to enter the portal and reach out to coaches, that it would be best if that 15-day period was within the windows, if there's the windows just started after Selection Sunday and went until May 1st. And that's, that's a great example of how impactful that recommendation was this past summer um, and how much your your group really worked or your committee really worked to make sure that voice was heard. And, and it was not only heard at the, the standing committee level, but also the council where you guys, you were at the table and you voiced your opinions. And so I think that's really, really impressive uh, on your end of things to, to really hold, hold the, the student athlete voice all the way through the process. Um, I really appreciate both of you coming on today and really talking about your experiences today and, and the experiences of the student athlete at the Division One Council. So thank you. Thank, thank you. you. And thank you to our guests, Linda, Morgan, and Cody, for taking the time to discuss the council and its October meeting. We hope you have safe travels back to Florida, Oklahoma, and New York, and we look forward to seeing you again in Phoenix at the NCAA convention. And to our audience. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Inside the NCAA, the AMA Experience. Be on the lookout for our next episode in two weeks.